0: You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. Done, greeting, and meeting. Turn to Romans 5. Romans chapter 5. And we're in the habit of not putting the scripture on the screen to encourage you to turn there and find it and get familiar with your own Bible, whether it's an electronic Bible or a paper Bible. Romans chapter 1, verse 5, starting in verse 1. Chapter 5, starting in verse 1. It says this, Romans 5. Therefore, so this is Paul talking to the Romans a long time ago, writing to them, encouraging them. Um, and this is pretty famous verse. Uh, verse 4 and 5 are pretty famous. Um, so Romans 5, chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So by faith, you have access to this grace of God. Pretty cool stuff. And we boast in the hope of the glory of the Lord. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Interesting verse. Interesting wording. You glory in your suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance is... Character and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given, who has been given to us. And so this idea that suffering, we glory, we thank God for our suffering. And we're going to be talking this morning about the Middle Ages. There's a lot of suffering in the Middle Ages and a lot of um, kind of moving backwards of history. And we'll get to talking about that. So that's why I chose this verse this morning. Um, so let's pray. God, we do recognize your presence in here, Lord. And as we study church history in the Middle Ages, God, would you use uh, what we talk about today to glorify yourself. These examples of history of suffering and um, Lord, that we as the church can grow from that, that we as the church can learn from that. Like the verse we read that we could produce character and character, hope and perseverance. But we love you and we, we give you all praise and honor. Thank you so much for being a part of our lives, that we live for you. And we praise you. And everybody scream. Amen. Anybody like camping? Yeah. Uh, so this is me and Erica and J-Boy uh, camping. And I like camping, like all of you like camping. Um, we kind of have these quintessential camping uh, ideas. I pulled out this picture, comes up. On the Google's, when you type in camping and a picture, I can barely see it. Sorry, I don't know why the projector is just not very bright today. Maybe, hey uh, Gabriel and Sean, would you shut the like the maybe the more make it more dark so it's a little easier to see? Um, anyways, uh, this is like a quintessential camping picture, which is hard to see. Uh, but it's like been photoshopped, like the fire has just been like added, and the tent's just kind of like placed on this perfect ground. Um, and so you have this idea of camping that's like, oh, camping. It's really fun, but once you camp for longer than, like, one night, camping is a lot of work. Anybody camp for longer than one night? A lot of hands. Anybody camp longer for than two nights? Anybody camp for a whole week? And when I say camp, like, maybe you went to a Christian camp, that's cool, but they had, probably had bathrooms and a cafeteria and stuff. I'm talking, like, in a tent, no bathrooms, in the woods camping for a week or longer. Wow, look around. That's an impressive group of people. Um. I went to me and some friends. This is way back in the day. This is 12 years ago. In 2002, me and two buddies, uh, Caleb Spear and Ben Couch, we went to Vail, Colorado, to work construction because uh, we, we got we were all into construction working uh, trim carpentry, and we could we had this job offer that was like triple what we could make in Vail than in Colorado Springs just because the price of living is uh, more in Vail. So our thoughts were we're gonna go to Vail and work for the summer and save up all this money so that we could use the money and then go traveling around the world. It was a pretty sweet plan. It was back in the days when I was single and before kids, and um, it was pretty fun. Anyways, we moved to Vail, and we're like, okay, we could get paid a lot more, but uh, the cost of living is a lot more, so how about we just camp in the woods while we're working? It was a great idea in theory, and so I, I had all these ideas, like, oh, we all love camping. Camping's fun. I was like, oh, well, I'll bring my guitar. I'll have tons of free time. I'll play my guitar and learn how to play more and play by the campfire. And I even, like, took an online class. I was like, oh, I'll have plenty of time to do all the reading. And I was like, oh, I'll have plenty of time to read extra books. And if you've ever been camping, like a lot of you have for longer than a week, you know that camping begins to be a lot of work. Like camping is usually like one night, maybe two. It's like, I don't want to go home. I want to shower. And if you don't have a home to go to, if you live in a van down by the river in, in Vail, Colorado, that's what we did. We had like a van. We like towed it into the national forest and we hit it. Um, and then we like camped. It was like our living room. We had tents. this whole thing. Anyways, when you're camping, things are a lot harder. Uh, and then I'm trying I'm going to compare the camping with the middle ages. So that's where I'm going with all this. Um, case you were wondering, um, like if you want to make a bowl of mac and cheese at home, it's like 10 minutes on the stovetop or like five minutes in the microwave. You could be eating mac and cheese. If you're camping, it's like, oh, you need to boil some water. Well, you have to make a fire. You have to go get the water, um. I need to go wash them. I need to go down by the stream and wash them. Then you boil it. Then you realize, oh, we don't have a strainer. So now you're eating gross, like, soggy mac and cheese. Yucky. And it's like uh, like going to the bathroom is a a big deal, and washing your hands is a big deal. And it's like when you're camping, you don't have any free time. It's like moving backwards in in your life, and it's hard. Um, And that kind of like what the, So we have these quintessential thoughts about the Middle Ages, like when you think Middle Ages, you think all these cool things, like knights and princesses and shining armor and stuff like that. And maybe when you think about camping, you have all these awesome memories. Oh, the campfire and, and sleeping in the woods, that's fun. And, but you, you don't usually think about how hard it was. Like, I don't know, maybe you do. Um, but anyways, camping. So I have... Some ideas about camping that are like the Middle Ages. Here's, I don't know why this picture, this is me getting all serious. So we ended up doing the camping, saving up money. We went and traveled the world, Southeast Asia. This is me at Everest Base Camp uh, on the northern Tibet side. So like, I have good feelings about that summer, but thinking back, like, it was just a hard summer. Um, and so comparing it with the Middle Ages, you could think of like this medieval times. Anybody been to one of these? Oh, really? Sweet. It's like in California and Florida and stuff. Um, medieval Times restaurant. It's like we have these quintessential ideas about what the Middle Ages or the medieval times are actually like. It's like we think of knights and princesses and shining armor and such like things like that. And we think of, like, restaurants like this. It's like, oh, let's watch people joust and eat some chicken. Um, but the Middle Ages, I'm going to kind of break that for you today. The Middle Ages... We're not that nice. In fact, the very name Middle Ages or the Dark Ages, Medieval Ages, those are all negative terms. So I'm going to talk about that. And I'm going to compare it to camping. And the, the Middle Ages, so if you're writing anything down and you're like, where is the story going? Um, I'm going to compare the Middle Ages with a thousand-year camping trip, which would be a very long time to go camping. Um, so that's where we're going today. So anyways, welcome officially to the Mill Sunday School. Glad you all are here. Uh, If you want, there's cards on the table that look something like this, and you can fill one out with as much or as little information as you want to give us. Bring it to the nice people as you leave uh, at the back table, uh, and they'll give you a little gift. Uh, Brady Boyd wrote a book called Sons and Daughters. We'll give you that, and I think there's uh, some other little goodies and small group stuff and um, information about the mill on a Friday night, which is our main ministry. It's our our, uh, worship service. College and twenty-somethings, young adults. So, anyways, here we are. If you've never been to the Mill Sunday School, you're like, "What are we talking about?" We're talking about church history, which is a very nerdy topic because we consider ourselves the nerds of New Life. And um, this month, of February, we're talking about the Middle Ages all this month, this one thousand year period um, of, of church history. And we, uh, if you want to be extra nerdy, there's a nerd alert. Your best siren. <laughs> I think it gets worse and worse every week. Um, we have a book that we recommended, Church History in Plain Language, by Bruce Shelley. And if you are reading along, we're in chapter 13, which is the same chapter we were in last week. So we're kind of uh, at this time where we're kind of moving slowly, but we're about to move very quickly because we're about to cover a thousand years in one month of uh, Sunday school. So fun stuff. So anyways, I'm rambling. Uh, let me give you a discussion question for you at your tables. If you're at a small table, just jump right into a bigger table, uh, the more the merrier. Uh, we do think... Discussion is important, and, and and this is a good place to do that. So, here's a question for you—a pretty general one, hopefully a pretty easy one. What comes to mind when you think of the Middle Ages? And so, list some things. And then, if you're you're um, want extra credit, and you you list a couple things really quickly, then list specific things that are like, what was it? Uh, what comes to mind when you think of the Christian Middle Ages? Like specifically. Christian. What was it like to be a Christian in the Middle Ages? What were some things that happened uh, with Christians in the Middle Ages? So get specific if you can. So, ready, cassette? discuss. I'll give you like another uh, ten seconds to wrap up. And then I have a mic if you want to share some thoughts about Middle Ages. So, we were talking about how um, Robin Hood Men in Tights was yes. actually based off of Robin Hood, which was based off his of a true story. So, ergo, Robin Hood Men in Tights, true story. True story. That's a cra- yes. yes. We were talking about how sometimes in the Middle Ages, like, the Christians would be, like, accused of witchcraft. Yes. And then they would take to trial, and they would, like, burn them. Yeah. And then yeah. they, they realized, like, the people who were being accused weren't actually the witches. Actually which is that some pretty bad things happened in the Middle Ages. You got, you got a good one? So I'm in the medical field, and we learned that Catholics. <laughs> when people were mentally ill, the Catholics uh-huh. would drill holes in the head. Head now of drilling a skull because that's how I would get a demon out. That makes sense. So, in in the Middle Ages, wood was uh, at times hard to come by um, because it was being used for fuel and stuff. So, a a lot of times uh, the serfs or the the peasants would uh, build their homes with a mixture of mud and cow dung. So, you know. If someone asked you where you lived in the Middle Ages, you could say, oh, I live in the pile of crap just down there at the end of the street. Literally. Literally. <laughs> uh, on that note, we'll end the discussion portion of Sunday School. <laughs> so we have at least your thoughts. I think they were all, like, negative things. Like, I, when I think of the Middle Ages, think of... Um, like Gandalf and Harry Potter and Skyrim and Dungeons and Dragons and Spells and Magics and Swords and Knights and Princesses and all these nice... Did anybody else mention nice things about the Middle Ages? Anybody? Uh, maybe it was my camping story that prepped you to think about negative things about the Middle Ages. But there's, I mean, there's some nostalgic things like uh, the stories and fairy tales in the Middle Ages, but it's a pretty negative time of church history, uh, and history in general. I, I wrote down the words depopulation, de-urbanization, invasions, and moving backwards uh, was kind of quintessentially represents the Middle Ages. And I wrote down that the backwards thing is kind of interesting. Um, so, like, think about moving backwards in time as being um, a good thing. It's like, we often don't think like, like, think about it like this, like, um, Today, if you want better technology, you just wait a a year, right? If you're like, oh, I want the newer iPhone, you just assume that the better technology is going to come back out. You don't think like, oh, if only we could get back to ten years ago when technology was better. And like the Ataris or Nintendos or whatever technology, that's a video game. Anyways, um, like we don't think like that. In the Middle Ages, people thought like, well, if only we could get back to the Roman Empire when technology was better – when uh, the way of life was better, when society was better. We don't think like that. We think progressively that the technology and that society and just things are going to get better. Um, medical improvements, people's life expectancy, they're going to get better as we learn more. And in the Middle Ages, people thought, if only we could get back, which is a very different thought than today, um, which is maybe helpful to get our mindset into the Middle Ages to think about how bad it was. Um, So here's an overview of the Middle Ages, a.k.a. AKA the Medieval Ages, and Medieval means in Latin the middle. It's like these are negative terms for the Middle Ages, um, because it was like in the middle of two things. Before the Middle Ages was the Roman Empire. After the Middle Ages is going to be the Reformation and the Renaissance. Renaissance means rebirth. And so the Middle Ages, that's not a good term. That's a negative term. Now they're also called the Dark Ages. Sound good or bad? That, of course. So I'm going to compare. So overviewing the Middle Ages, I'm going to compare it to a thousand-year camping trip. There you see a family getting all wet. You see some gross food. You see a gross little toilet. You see some bug bites. Like when I talk about camping, um, there's some nostalgic things about camping, just like there's some nostalgic things about the Middle Ages. But for the most part, it's kind of a... Debbie Downer of an age of, of time. Um, I'm also going to call it a thousand-year power struggle between popes and kings. So th- that kind of represents the Middle Ages. Lots of wars. Lots of city-states warring with each other. And lots of uh, conflict between popes and kings or the church and the state. And in the Middle Ages, in Europe, there was no separation of church and state. Like th- This didn't happen uh, like there is today. and And Christianity and the empire, the sword and the cross were very, um, I don't know, like just, we'll we'll talk about some things today. And you're like, wow, that was very different than today where there's this separation of church and state. Here's a little um, story that gives you some idea of what the Middle Ages were like. Uh, We have archaeological evidence that shows all over Europe where the Roman roads were. So this is a Roman road. The the cobblestone. If you go back to like the time of Jesus, the Romans had these road systems all over the Roman Empire, all over the Mediterranean, up into Europe. And that's how... um, like, this, this great feat of the Roman Empire was that they had roads, which before that, they didn't really have roads. And so if you wanted to go somewhere, you kind of had to just make your own way. But the, with the advent of the Roman roads, was that maybe sometimes people even say that's one of the reasons why Christianity was able to spread so quickly and so well, because of these roads. But in the Middle Ages, when things were going backwards, and the Roman Empire fell, and people, there was um, just, like, struggles between, uh, like, society, uh, people took the stones from the roads to build their houses. So we have archaeological evidence that all over Europe and what was the Roman Empire, people were literally cutting themselves off from the rest of the world. Literally, like taking the stones from the roads, because they're in survival mode. They're in camping mode, and they see some easy stones to get, and they use them to build their own houses. And it's like, that is so... Like you're cut, literally cutting yourself off and making things worse than than if you hadn't, you know, found your own stones to go build with. And so this this is like a quintessential thing of like representing the Middle Ages. I think about um, a lot of times if you've done any um, like homeless outreaches, we do a lot of that here at New Life with our local ministry. And maybe some of you, anybody go to Five Dollar Mission Sunday nights? Anybody? A couple of people. Yeah. <laughs> um. So if you ever Hang out with um, specifically like chronic homeless people. Uh, I have a friend named Bobby. He's uh, the pastor over at Local Missions, and he says, you know, some of the hard, some of the easiest things that we think, just become very hard for a, a person that's been homeless for a while. Because you might just say, oh, the homeless person needs to get a job. You know, so it's like an easy thing to say because, well, the homeless person, you know, first they have to have an ID maybe, and if they don't have an ID, it's like, well, how do you get an ID? Well, you have to have a a residence, a place, an address, right? They can't get an ID without an address. And you can't, like, well, where's your birth certificate? Where's your Social Security card? Do you have a passport? No, you have nothing. And so getting some of these things is like, well, you have to make some calls. It's like, well, I don't have a cell phone. But then it's like problems on top of problems. And it's like survival mode. And so I think comparing that to the Middle Ages, if you're in survival mode, well, then it makes sense to go get the stones. Uh, but here's the Middle Ages. Here's a bunch of dates. Uh, if you're writing things down, um, the fall of Rome kind of starts off the Middle Ages. Um, and my friend Aaron Higgins, uh, that made the, the crap house <laughs> analogy, Anyways, um, he found some, some numbers and stats that said uh, that uh, it took about 300 years for the Roman Empire to fall. So Rome, I mentioned last week that Rome, of course, didn't fall in a day, just like Rome wasn't built in a day. And maybe as long as 300 years of this like slow falling, so maybe three, four, five hundred 400, 500, uh, th- those years are when the Roman Empire fell. And then you have what is called uh, what most people call the early Middle Ages, the 400s to the 1,000s. We'll talk about uh, Charlemagne and the Franks uh, next week and the feudal system. Uh, the high Middle Ages, 1,000 to 1,300, I mean 1,300, uh, knights, the horses, Gothic style. Uh, if anybody see the movie Braveheart a long time ago, yeah, freedom! Um, Braveheart would be in that time. He'd be in the high Middle Ages, uh, the 1000 to the 1300, and then the later Middle Ages, 1300s to 1400s. Um, that was uh, Vikings, invasions, and uh, the end of the Crusades. The Crusades would be the high Middle Ages, and... and and going into the later Middle Ages, and uh, the bubonic plague. Anybody ever get that disease? No, it's pretty bad. Um, in the year, I read that in the year 1348, about one third of Europe's population was lost to the bubonic plague. One third. Like look around, and like if you're sitting at a table with six, two of you would be dead. Pretty brutal. Uh, pretty bad time to live. And then finally, we have in the 1500s the Renaissance and the, the Protestant Reformation, which gets church history out of this time called the Dark Ages and the Middle Ages. And going back to this idea of the road, here's another picture of a Roman road, a very well used one. We have through church history some good times and some bad times. And this month, there is a lot of bad that happens. Uh, there's a lot of church uh, scandal, there's a lot of abuse of power, there's just bad times, survival mode. And that's why I started off with reading this verse about uh, that the perseverance and suffering, that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, character hope. That, the, that, that, that going through the Middle Ages and us looking back in 2014 at the Middle Ages, we're going to see a lot of suffering, we're going to see a lot of mistakes that the church made. And and to learn from those and to think, oh, we're not above that. You know, like we could get into survival mode and do some of the same things uh, as people. We are not uh, better than anyone else. We need to learn from our own history as Christians, the people that have gone before us. So that's kind of a conclusion of the overview. And so now let's talk about something pretty interesting, in my opinion. Um, And that's the introduction of the papacy. Like today, there's a pope. Does anybody know his name? Pope Francis, yes. Um, So we'll talk about kind of the evolution of that, because that's going to be pretty quintessential in the Middle Ages. Popes, bishops, and the the political power that the church had. So let's do a little, um, maybe some background to get into the papacy. So here's a little picture I found on the interwebs of Christians. So the orange represents Christians, pockets of Christians, around 325. So right as... Christianity is being legalized in the Roman Empire. There's the orange pockets of Christians. So you see around Rome, around Carthage, Jerusalem, into Turkey, and then parts of Europe have these orange dots. And then the green represents Christianity around the year 600. It's a huge spread. Between 300 and 600, this huge spread of Christianity is growing while the Roman Empire is falling and maybe taking maybe up to 300 years to fall. And do you have this power vacuum of, like, whenever there's, if a country's doing good, let's say the United States is doing, doing good, we're not too worried about, like, the pueblos coming and invading us, are we? And if we were worried about that, things would be a lot different around here. We wouldn't just be openly meeting right now like we are. We'd be looking out for the pueblos, Puebloians. Anyways, if you're from there, I apologize. Maybe, um like, like we joke about... You know, the Broncos and the Seahawks and not, anyways, go Broncos. Um, but Seattle isn't coming to invade us. It's like, no, we're playing a football game. Um, and so, but if, if that was the case, there would be this vacuum of power. Like, we would um, just be, like, I think if you look at church history or just history in general, you see that when a country isn't doing very well, that's when dictators come about. And it's people are just like, oh, we'll do anything for, like, like, things to be normal and things to people to stop invading us. So, of course, they have dictators, and we'll give you all the power to help us. And so that's this vacuum of power and invasions in the Middle Ages. So here's a little map of the invasions of the Roman Empire, 100 to 500. Uh, and look at all the lines, the, the yellow lines are the angles and the Saxons. the orange are the Franks, the blue is the Vandals, <coughs> which is where we get the word. Vandalizing because you see all the blue vandals doing their vandalizing. Um, you see the the pink is the Visigoths, the Ostrogoths, the red is the Goths, and I saved the best for last. The green is the Huns, and the Huns uh, had this kingdom here. Uh, there's the green, and they were a pretty bad group of people, pretty scary group of people. They would go around. Dev- devastating leveling towns people were afraid of them their leader's name was attila the hun not to be confused with Jabba the hut i always get that i was like for some reason it makes it's like this connection there in my head one of them's fake one of them's real anyways attila and his huns this uh, people group um are about to invade italy and italy um is, of course, the capital of Italy is still today Rome, and uh, there's people in Rome, (laughs) and people are afraid of Attila and the Huns coming to destroy Italy and their capital and their city. And so who will go out to stop them? They're unstoppable. Well, here's a picture, a painting, actually, one of the Ninja Turtles, Raphael, painted this, um, this is a painting that's in the Vatican now. And if you can kind of see it, uh, maybe it's hard to see because the projector is kind of dark, but you see people from the right coming in with their horses, and they're, like, stopping because, like, two Superman figures are up in the sky. And there's other guys coming from the right. I was kind of sorry, coming from the left to the right. Uh, there's a cross there, and one of them looks like uh, a pope. And you'd be right, that's a pope. And the two guys flying around, those are the angels uh, of of Peter and Paul coming to protect the city of Rome and Italy. And here's the story of how a guy who was a religious guy stopped Attila and his Huns from attacking Italy. It's pretty interesting because if you compare it to today, let's say there's just some random people forming a militia. In uh, the woods, and they got you know they're they're coming down out of the out of the national forest and like pillaging and just destroying things and killing people. What would we do? We'd, it's like send a SWAT team in. We send the army in. We send the national guard. We send the police. We wouldn't send a religious figure. Like we would, probably wouldn't send Brady Boyd in to talk to him. Brady Boyd's pretty cool. It's like what, no, we need to send an army in. We don't need to send Brady Boyd in. But in this story. This, this awesome legendary story, the Pope or the Bishop of Rome, he's not really a Pope yet, like we know the papacy. A guy named Leo, the Bishop of Rome, goes and he has a conversation or something with Attila and his Huns, and he stops them from attacking Rome, stops them from attacking Italy and sends them back home. Pretty interesting, don't you think? And so this painting is like this historic moment where the Pope or the, the Bishop of Rome, uh, he will kind of become, the, this evolution of the papacy kind of happens. And this is a pretty big moment for the papacy and the evolution of the idea of the papacy, because here's someone, just a guy, like a religious figure, talking with an army and turning them around. And this guy's name is uh, Pope or Father Leo I or Leo the Great. And you don't usually get the name Great added to your name unless you did something really great. And he did. He, he stopped... Tilla and his Huns from attacking Italy. It's pretty cool. Uh, And and by the way, Pope just means a father, like Papa. And here's a picture of Saint Leo. Um, He has the quote of the day, which I thought would be a a good Super Bowl quote. Um, Victory is nothing without the trial of temptation, for there is no conflict without an enemy, no victory without strife. Pope Saint Leo the Great. Um, And for all argument's sake, at least for us as Protestants, the Catholics would probably argue about this, we would say Leo is kind of the first pope in the sense that we use the word pope today. Because we would say the pope is like the, the, the bishop over all other bishops within the Catholic Church. He's the leader of all other leaders uh, within the Catholic Church. He's the final authority here on earth as far as the Catholic Church goes. And that's kind of interesting because that was more of an evolution. And it goes back, the Catholics would say, to a verse in the Bible, a couple verses. And the verses are represented by this picture, this painting. Can you see what's going on in this painting? Uh, It was a guy named Piero Perugino, I think is how you say his name, painted this in the 1400s about a couple verses in Matthew chapter 16. Can you see what's going on? There's like a guy on the left, it's Jesus. He's standing and he's giving something to another dude who's on his knee. What's he giving him? Can you see? A key. A big key. What's it to? The kingdom of heaven. (laughs) You said city. You'd be kind of right. I guess the city of heaven. Who is it? It's Jesus and Peter. Yeah, and you see, if you could kind of see the... The progression of the, there's other disciples there. And then on the far right is like more modern-ish, at least in the Middle Ages, looking people. Like how they're dressed is like disciples in the early church to like, looks like they're wearing medieval clothing on the right. So it's like this progression of people after Peter. And so here's the verse. Matthew 16, starting in verse 13, it says, When Jesus came to the reason of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? And then Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, son of the living God. And some really important verses for Catholics. Uh, Jesus replied, you are Simon, son of Jonah. But this was not revealed to you uh, by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Petros, Peter. And upon this Petros, this rock, I will build my church. The of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys, there it is, of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on heaven will be bound. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. And so Peter gets the keys. That We, as Protestants, would uh, tra- interpret this passage a little differently, I think, and maybe that's uh, interesting discussion for later. The Catholics look at this passage and says something like this. Like, look, here's Jesus giving the keys to Peter And according to legend, this isn't in the Bible. According to, and it might be true, it might not be true. Peter went to Rome to be the first church leader of the city of Rome. So that's kind of legendary. We don't know that for sure. It's not in the Bible, but it may have happened, may not have happened. So supposedly, um, the, the interpretation by the Catholics of this passage is that Peter was Peter was given the keys, given the authority. He goes to Rome and becomes the first bishop of Rome, and so. Every bishop that comes after Peter is also handed these spiritual uh, keys of authority over other Christians, which is kind of interesting that it evolved that way because it's like, why is Rome any more important than any other city? Here's uh, a map and some arrows to other important cities at the time. Uh, There's Jerusalem. There's Constantinople, which was technically the capital of Rome. There's Carthage. There's uh, Jerusalem, Antioch. There's Alexandria, and there's Rome. Why does Rome's bishop get to be the bishop over all other bishops? Well, it just kind of evolved that way. And part of the story is is Leo, father, the bishop Leo, um, and his um, conversation with the Huns that turned them around. It was like, wow, that he must have some sort of authority. Maybe it's the same authority that was given to Peter. And so that, my friends, is why the Catholic Church still to this day holds the bishop of Rome over all other bishops. And so now we have Pope Francis and taking some selfies with some people. Pretty sweet. But this idea of the the Pope being the Pope being the, the leader over all other church leaders is interesting and it evolved. And um, to conclude these thoughts, there's lots of thoughts swirling about the Middle Ages, in the papacy. Um, I think there, there will be this month lots of conversations that are kind of negative, like bad moments in church history. I think of maybe one of the worst moments in all of church history arguably could be the Crusades. And guess when that happened? Well, in the Middle Ages. Um, I think of maybe one of the worst things, the church abuse, church scandal, is the selling of indulgences. If you don't know what that is, it's Basically, someone writes a piece of paper saying your sins are forgiven, and you would buy this from the church. It's like, oh, talk about the scandal, and we as Christians, you know, should be ashamed of that. I I know I am kind of like talking about church history and considering myself a Christian, and the history of Christians. Like, that's a pretty sad time in church history, crusades, indulgences, this power struggle, and, and popes doing bad things. Um, and church leaders doing bad things, selling positions. That's called Simonry. Um, And and these things happening in the Middle Ages are going to be pretty sad. So here's the idea that I thought of, this, this verse that comes out of the Bible, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And I think the more we look at pretty bad moments in church history, the more we have to say, well, our ultimate trust is in the Lord and not in individuals and even not in the church. And the church is often compared with, the Bride of Christ. Here's a wedding gown representing the Bride of Christ. And no matter what the Bride does, um, it's still the Bride, still the Wife of Christ, as the analogy goes. And we can learn from it. This month of, of Sunday school and the, the, the Middle Ages, there's some pretty bad things, and we can learn from them. We can learn that um, there was a lot of suffering, and through sufferings, perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope, and despite these bad things, the church is still the church. Um, and the church is this um, bride of Christ, as the analogy goes. And it is God's, you know, using his people on this earth is what he does. And what he's still doing today, that we can learn from that, is pretty cool. So um, let's pray, and then I have this final discussion question for you to kind of close. We'll, we'll close officially kind of early Uh, but I'll give you this discussion question. So let's let's go to the Lord and say, God, we we do come before you humbly anticipating this month of Sunday school of learning about some pretty negative things, some pretty scandalous things that happened in the church. And we as Christians are shameful about that, that we let sin and, and corruption sneak in. And so though we Yes, that we might learn from some of these mistakes that the people, the Christians have made going before us. That you are a good God and you can redeem. That you can um, even use suffering to produce in us character and character, hope, and perseverance. And so, Lord, we do thank you. We praise your holy name. You're a good God. We love you. Everybody said amen. So if you want a discussion question, you don't have to. It's kind of an extra credit discussion question. But how should we interpret um, the Matthew 16, 13 through 19, this verse about Jesus giving the keys of the kingdom to Peter. How would we, because we, if you're, if you're not Catholic, you probably don't interpret it as, oh, Peter and then the Popes and St. Francis today has this keys this authority. Um, we would interpret it differently. Um, so how should we interpret it? That's your discussion question, but you're officially dismissed. Peace out. Thank you for listening to the Mills Sunday School Podcast. You can find more information at www.themillonline.org.